0: Welcome to the Contractor Success Forum. Today we have with us Martin Holland of Anil Business Coaching. He also wrote the book, The Profit Problem, and he has an amazing podcast like ours called The Cash Flow Contractor. So go check that out too, because I was on there. Go look for that one. So (laughs) it was great. And he also had Mike McAllowitz with Profit First on there. Martin is taking the confusion out of the financial statement so you can make better decisions. I got engrossed with his book uh, that he had sent me. So it was great. And and I used it for doing my own accounting. And it was a great quick summary for a non-accountant, maybe even for an accountant, but it was great. So check out our show notes where we'll put all the contact information where you can go find Martin and you can find all the information about these other three wonderful guys. Also on here, we have Stephen Brown, our long-term industry professional. He's a construction bond agent with McDaniel Whitley, bonding and insurance agency with over 30 years of experience underwriting and placing bonds for you as contractors. And Wade Carpenter with Carpenter and Company CPAs, helping contractors nationwide become permanently profitable for over 30 years. And me, I'm Rob Williams, your profit strategist with Iron Gate Entrepreneurial Support Systems, driving profit in your businesses with decades of vertical integration as a contractor, manufacturer, aviator, financial strategist in the construction industry. Welcome, Martin. Man, after we got all that out, all right. How are you Martin. guys doing today? I'm doing well. Great. Well, Martin, we were talking about taking the confusion out of financial statements, and and we were also talking about bidding and different things. Where do you guys want to start today? Do you any? You guys have any questions for Martin? Also, well, I
1: know you you preach having great financial statements. I'd love for you to chat a little bit about. A lot of coaches don't don't focus on that. And I really appreciate that message because that's where it starts. And I know Stephen can't get bonds for people that don't, you know, have great financials. So, well, yeah, first of all, thanks think, for Martin? having me on here. I, I love this stuff. This could be a four hour podcast because we were talking ahead of time and we're like-minded folks and, and uh, we, we don't have to put our people through four oh, yeah. hours of this, uh, our listeners, but, Financial statements I say and said earlier that there are 30.2 million businesses in the United States and just about 30.2 million of them do not have financials sufficient to make business decisions. And I've had over 400 paying clients. So how many more times that have I talked to? And I mean, maybe three, maybe five. I've even got clients, 200 million, 80 million. Sales don't have good books. They have good books sufficient to pay taxes because they have to do that, but not good books sufficient to make business decisions. And that's really one of my great passions. I don't think it's necessary that business owners know how books are kept or how the reports are created, but they do need to recognize good books so that they can insist on them and get the information they need to use to make decisions. And that, that's really my passion in life. And, and most people, when you, when most business owners, I know when we talk to them about books, their eyes roll back in their head. It's a necessary evil. They don't understand it. It costs money. It's associated with taxes. When they learn how to use them to make decisions, it gives them clarity. I, I often say it's like, if you don't have books, it's like the last four minutes of an NBA finals game. And somebody puts a blanket over the scoreboard. You don't know what you're supposed to do. You know, if you're supposed to shoot three, three throws or take three desperation threes or stall or what. When you have books, you have the information you need to make decisions. So getting books and teaching people how to use them is is one of my favorite pastimes.
0: That's so interesting. We, we talk a lot about profit first on here. And it was in, the first time I met you and talked to you and. a... And you were interviewing Mike Michalowicz of Profit First, and it was interesting. Part of our conversation is, well, Profit First is great, but I believe people should have books. And there's a misconception that Profit First means you don't have to have books. And, and there are some people that do construe it that way. And I guess since you do have a cash flow system – it it seems like you don't need books. So people do sometimes run on, you know, getting their books behind. So how did you find out about profit first? I
1: was thinking about that. I don't really know. (laughs) I don't remember where I first came across it, but (laughs) I I read, I'm an avid reader. And if anybody mentions a book, I buy it. And uh, it sits on my stack and I get to it. And so, I mean, it's been some number of years I've known about it. The basic principle I have all of my clients create a, what I would call a savings account. Mike might call it a profit account, whatever label you want to put on it, separate from their earnings. So we would always do that kind of thing. But your point about profit first is a cash. I I love the way Mike Michalowicz describes it. It's a behaviorally based method of keeping books, right? So I get that. You're going to look at your bank account. If there's an abundance there, you're likely to spend. So you distribute it. You see what you've got in the various categories. That doesn't really answer all the questions, or at least I haven't seen it answer all the questions for many of my companies where they have assets such as inventory and and accounts receivables that are significant. There's a whole lot going on that doesn't hit the bank account directly, concurrently. And to make decisions, you can't just look at your bank account. Mm -hmm. I love the enforced discipline and taking the profit first. I, I love that. But you need more information than that, not just to pay taxes, but to do business. And I'll just give you an example. One of the critically important questions every business owner should know. Absolutely. Is what's my break even sales. And I have never, ever had a business tell me what their break-even sales were. They'll tell you, well, my overhead's $9 million or or a million this month, so I guess it's a million. No, it's not a million. You can't understand what your break-even is unless you understand the difference between fixed and variable costs and unless you understand what your margins are. And literally, I'm shocked. I was in business myself for 42 years, or 40 years, 41 years, and I thought everybody would know this stuff. And basically the answer is I haven't met anybody who knows it. And that's not cause I'm smart. It's that it hasn't occurred to them. That is a fundamental, any listener right now needs to ask themselves, how much do I have to sell every month to break even on my expenses? Then how much do I have to sell every month to break even on my expenses? Plus my debt service, which I have to pay every month, which comes out of profit and then to make, and available profit above that oh well look at what several things you got to figure out what are my expenses <laughs> what's my fixed expenses what's my debt service most people can't tell me their debt service without going well I'll get back to you on it okay well you don't know twenty thousand a month a hundred thousand a month in fixed payments on your long-term debt they don't know that well you ought to know that then what's a reasonable target Uh, Why are you in this business? So anyway, that's a fundamental question. There there are many others, but that's basic number one from an operating standpoint, uh, not necessarily balance sheet management, but from an operating standpoint, that's the thing you need to know what your margins are and what your break even is for those different targets. And I've never met anybody uh, in my conversations who knew that. And profit first methods and cash management really don't deal with that. I mean it, maybe it makes you think about it so that you go deal with it, but the amount and if Mike McCallowitz were on here or maybe Rob, you you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but it just doesn't deal with that. And so it supplement the,
0: the, the two things go it, together. But the advanced profit first does. yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Implementing it um, in
1: construction actually does if you put in the materials inside. Yeah, Wade.
0: Wade's seminar, it's interesting, the one that he and I give the contractors and we, in there we we're talk just about break-even. Yeah, we're just, it's even. it's very... break-even. You take your expenses, your debt service and your owner's profit. And then what's your break-even? So, right. so how do you do that? And I love that about profit first is adding that hundred thousand dollars a year to it, or what, whatever your, maybe a million dollars a year, whatever your profit you need. And then that is your break-even and Wade's even got a, a really neat drill where he figures out the margin in there too. So it's, it's a great little seminar that you're in there, but cap.
1: that's well, we're, we're aligned. I mean, we, we think,
0: yeah. Uh, oh yeah, I know we yeah. are. Yeah. That's why we had you on here, man.
1: <laughs> I mean, so we were teaching great. it in the concept of like, you know, exactly what you're saying. What do you need to break even? But you know, if you try to chase that top line by giving away your margin, that break-even number jumps on up, Martin. I know you just told a story. I didn't know if you wanted to go into that about sure. your contractor. With well, I have a uh, contractor who came to me about two and a half years ago in a lot of trouble, and principally it was from lack of understanding margins. If he wanted the business, and if somebody was doing it, and a builder or contractor that he works for said, "Well, so and so at this price," and he would match that price, right? So he was in a lot of trouble. Well, we got him to understand margins and and he has good books. And so our target is 40. Our real margin is 35%. So that's his gross profit margin on what he does. He called me yesterday. And this is after two years of working together (laughs) more than two years. He said, Martin, he said, I got an opportunity. This guy came to me with 80 units uh, of, of what he does, which is a lot. And he said, man, 80 units. The only problem is, he wanted me to come down to a price that would have yielded my client an 18% margin. He said, wow, it's 80 units. And I said, yeah, it's 80. You know, it's that joke about get a bigger truck. You're losing money. You need a bigger truck. And he said, I, I'm yeah. just so tempted to take this. And I said, "We, well, you can't do that. He has all the work he can do right now. So this would have taken a month and maybe two months of his capacity and filled it up with cheap work, which he, If he got super efficient, you can't double your efficiency in a factory in a week. But if he did that, maybe it could work, but that's not going to happen. So it takes a month or two months of his capacity and runs it at 18%. Meanwhile, he turns down or pushes out to the distance, his jobs that paid 35%. And he said, well, I knew that's what you're going to say, but man, he said 80 units. (laughs) Remember the purpose of business is not sales, right? It's, it's to make a profit and then to turn that profit into cash. And if something that you're t- wanting to do, you can have this pipe dream that if I get that big sale, I'll find some way to reduce costs or something. I said, well, what do you mean? That's not what happens. You get the job and then what really happens, More, I mean, sometimes it does, but what usually happens is you break some of the material or your guys don't show up or you figured three hours per this and it takes four. said, so that's what usually happens. Because you bit it with a sharp pencil trying to make it real trim, and then the reality of it is that's not what happens. So your 18% margins are really going to be a 10% margin, and you're going to actually wind up losing money. So just don't do it. And he didn't. But after two years of hearing this every week, he still had to call and ask because the temptation was so. He goes, "Oh man, 80 units." I go, "I know." I had a builder one time, and he had a. An inventory of 60 homes, which I know you guys relate to. And he was bemoaning because I'm always trying to get the margins out. But builders, are, it's a little different because, as you know, the market is kind of set, a little bit yeah. set. But he said, Man, I tell you, sales, everything got to sell. I said, I will sell every one of those 60 houses in 60 days. And I'll guarantee it. He goes, Oh my God. I said, You aren't going to like the price. <laughs> And of course, I, yeah. can. I can sell everything. Right. You know, I will just cut it in half. Take my 10% sales commission. Well, no, 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 no. I got to make, oh, okay, now we're back to so you got to make money. It is not about sales. It's about sales that give you a realistic opportunity to, to make a profit. And that profit with a high likelihood will get converted to cash.
0: Yeah, that's a big problem right now. Getting an appraisal when the prices are going up, you're, you're right. a lot of times stuck with the appraisal. Not all Look, the
2: different- I, I like to ask Martin a question, if you don't mind. You, we were talking about intentional bidding and how that mm-hmm. ties into the whole thought process. Intentional bidding, well, every time I throw out a bid, my intent is to to try to get it, or my intent is to try to hit a home run. Maybe everybody's asleep and I'm the only bidder, and then I'll still have to go back and negotiate because I'm two times the engineer's estimate. But that's going to happen. It costs money to bid jobs. What, what does intentional bidding mean? Because you were telling me about giving a talk about
1: it. Yeah, I'm giving a talk next Wednesday to a group a subcontractors association.
2: All methods of bidding.
1: I, I mean, that's one of the things when I work with the, with what I'll call industrial type clients is I want to see your bid process. And I, I wish I had it laid out, but basically intentional bidding is, you know, your capacity. Okay. I can do a million dollars worth of work a month. I can do $25 million worth of work a month, whatever. And if you're a general contractor, you're thinking, well, it's unlimited because I can hire more subs. Well, no, you can't, because you still have to bond it. Right. you still have to pay, you know, you've got financial. but what's my capacity to do work. It starts there. And then you say, what's my break even okay so what margins must i have to break even and then debt service and profit and that gives you a minimum margin that you have to bid now there are some other things in there Uh, i i like to really know what my margins are real cost people say well i use thousand dollars a day for labor. I said, well, how much does your labor really cost? Well, 650 bucks. Well, plus your payroll tax and near, okay, yes, $700. Well then use 700, don't use a thousand because that's how you bid yourself out of a, if you're not using real numbers and you apply a higher than what you think margin to it, you're grossing up what you already grossed up. So knowing your real costs, knowing your capacity, know what you have to have, and it's a pipe dream if you figure that out and you bid for less than that you, you just stand there and say you cannot do that and what i hear oftentimes is well if i get the bid I'll figure out how to keep some of that money or i got to keep the guys busy right and you know if I, until a good bid comes along Well, no, you have to know what you have to have. And then the last thing in this talk, I have four steps in this thing, but the last thing in this talk is confidence. You have to go bid what you have to go bid. You can't bid 25% margins if you got to have 30% and hope you're going to get it. You have to go bid what you're going to bid. And if it's impossible to do that, then there's two things. One, you're grossly inefficient and you need to fix that. Or two, you need to get the heck out of that business, go do something else because it's a guaranteed way to lose money. And I have a, uh, another client, a longtime client, and we knock heads. He does construction-type work, but he also does service work in his industry. He makes a lot of money on the service work. He sells a lot in the industrial work. Well, I'm always telling him, you've got to get your margins up. And he's always telling me, you know, add value other than just price and things like that. He literally told me this the other day. He says, general contractor, don't give a damn if you send them a Christmas card. They just want the lowest price. And I said, well, how's that working for you? Because he lost $300,000 last year, or I'm 19. He lost $300,000 and on January 1st, he had $750,000 worth of accounts receivable. I said, how's it working for you? What the hell are you, what he's doing? Sorry, I'm getting a little strident here. But what he's doing, Is he likes taking his company that was $3 million a couple of years ago and it's now $8 million. And that's really cool. I get to talk about that. I said, well, you know, I really don't care. I'd rather have a guy that made a half million dollars on a million dollars worth of sales than a guy that had a hundred million dollars worth of sales and lost 25 million. And he'll agree to that, but that's not what he does, right? His intent is to get the sale and he won't admit it, but it's for bragging rights. And I just mm-hmm. said we're at cross purposes. We butt heads a lot because I, I don't bend and he's not bending, but yeah a yeah. little bit more three hundred thousand dollar
2: loss and seven hundred and fifty thousand of receivables.
1: He's he's starting to feel the
2: pain. Well, you triple your sales, you make those kind of crazy numbers that you can brag about. Who are you paying? Right. You know I mean, who are you paying? You're not paying yourself, you're not making a profit. So so who are you in, in business to pay? The banks? Banks love it when your account right. balances go up. Yeah. Uh, when you might need to borrow more money, you're making them. I mean, I guess that's my point: is is yeah. is who are you feeding right. when your sales get up like that? The other
0: aspect is we think if we get bigger, say if we can get to 15 million, well, let's get there. And then even though we're not profitable this year, then let, once we get there, then let's figure out how to be a profitable $15 million company. Well, one of the problems with that that Profit First pointed out is you may have the wrong kind of sales. You may have grown that to something that won't be there. Get it figured out first when you're small and with the correct kind of sales, the wrong kind of business. You may be in the wrong business at $15 million that you just it went from 3 million to 15 million in the wrong business, right. in the wrong market. Get the right target market when you're small, then you can grow that business. And, and I, I did that myself in the wrong business and said, Well, we're just not efficient at it. We'll do all our lean manufacturing and get the volume there, and then we'll buy the right saw, and then we'll do these other things and we'll get the right equipment. To be profitable next year but we got the sales now at 15 million whether we're losing a million or two or you know that's okay because next year we're going to make four and we're <laughs> going to be at that volume and it, and it just doesn't work that way a lot of times it's like the tail
2: wagging the dog
1: i just uh, said over and over sales is not the purpose of business and if there are salesmen in the room they always get mad at you because they they're the rainmakers and all that kind of stuff right? <laughs> I go, no, you're not the rainmaker. I have a guy who does sales training for a large organization that you would know. And I've gone to some of his things and he always draws on the whiteboard, little train. This is business. Sales is driving the train. It all starts with sales. Sales, we're the rainmakers. And I just put my head down. I said, well, before you have a sale, you have to have something to sell, right? And before you have something to sell, you have to have some financing so that you can buy the parts and components of whatever it is it takes to sell that. You know, by the way, you need to have bookkeeping and accounting and HR and IT and tax or, you know, all the legal stuff. You got to have all that or you got nothing to sell. So don't, don't, it's a chain. That's such a beat up metaphor, but it's a chain. And any of the links is weak, you're going to go down, right? Sales is, is not it. I have a client when you were, Uh, talking, Rob, it just made me think of it. It's been one of my first clients eight, nine years ago, but we started looking at what he did and started doing marginal analysis. This sells for this and our cost against that our variable costs are this and here's what's left over and then we did other categories. He had a really poor performing sector of his business, which accounted for 34% of his sales and I convinced him to quit doing that. And he stopped doing it. And of course, the low margin, high volume stuff, that's what you sell the most of, right? That's, why well, again, 34% of my sales, just this one category. His profit, I wrote an article on why I have the numbers in my head. His profits went up 808%. So he reduced his sales by 34%. And his net profit, all, all the way down the bottom line, went up 808%. Now, if you're not making very much money, it's pretty easy to go up 800%. But that's where you got to start, right?
0: That's fascinating. You know, we're starting to get down to the end. We're, we're over our time, as I always do. Always, let us go over. <laughs> but I, I love one of the points about profit first, and that was one of the things. Even talking to you, Martin, where you're you're not a, a profit first professional at this point yet. We're we're working on you. But the part about profit first is not just the book. I thought that was a great yeah. thing that just came up in this meeting, and that, that profit first is the scaffolding that gives you the infrastructure to make a lot of your business decisions. It's the scaffolding that goes up and down as well as your financing. It's the scaffolding around that for the business owner, because he's not a controller usually. So it's that scaffolding right. that enables you to do a lot of the advanced profit things. Like what we're talking about now, this is all part of it. The Sales analysis is one of the biggest parts of Profit First, but it's not really in the book. And then there's the break-even analysis. And then there are so many different the, – the cash flow factors that, that generate that. But it's all about getting cash flow. And I forget to say that on our program sometimes. I forget. Our definition of profit is cash. It's not the books. Profit-first definition, and like Martin and I know all four of us are really like-minded on that, it's it's getting that cash flow so you can pay yourself as profit. Right. And there's so many different things that we can do in there. Great. So very
1: few um, business owners actually get to see the fruits of their labor. I mean, at, at least not in proportion. It's tied up somewhere. It's gone somewhere. They yeah. spend it stupidly. I had a client one time between Christmas and New Year's bought a $140,000 sign. And I was livid when I came back. So, what? Well, I saved $40,000 on taxes. I go, yeah, but you just sucked one hundred and forty grand out of your available cash that financing inventory, which was huge for his. Business. Anyway, stuff like that.
0: That's a huge. That's, a, that's a, I love that story, a sign, because I just knew you were going to say pickup truck. No, well, <laughs> you actually said sign. Yeah, that's I want a new, new one. I in Oklahoma
1: between Christmas and New Year's. That's. <laughs> But, yeah, and a lot of trucks, but that was that was one that just stuck in my craw. I was so mad. He, he never even mentioned it. It's his business. He can do what he wants. But as a coach, I'm supposed to be a confidant. In, in and uh, I found out after the fact, well, it's too late now.
0: Golly. You well, know? <laughs> it's so interesting. I know sometimes when we're talking to – the contractors and stuff that might become a, a client, they're like, we're going to start in three weeks. And I know what they're doing is because they got some money they want to spend before we start. You know, right. so they're, they're doing it, <laughs> trying to get it outside so they won't have the accountability. It's like, OK, I right. wonder, does he need a swimming pool? Is it a truck? What is he going to do before we before he starts becoming accountable? So it's 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 a lot of fun. Anyway this this has been this has been a lot of fun today. So so today we have with us we have Martin Holland Neil Business Coaching. I I always love talking to you, Martin. It's it's great uh, having well, you on here. So hopefully we can get back together again soon. And we have Wade Carpenter with Carpenter and Company CPAs contact him and we have Stephen Brown with McDaniel Whitley Bonding Insurance Agency. Look in the show notes, share the show with your friends because every time you don't share this with somebody, you're depriving them of this great information. So everybody, yeah, that, that's right, Stephen. <laughs> and, and go listen to Martin's Cash Flow Contractors. Listen to his cashflow podcast one word as well. So, it is. Yes, cash flow yeah. is that is a big debate. Too. In the, so, name, the next show, one we'll talk about whether cash Cash flow is one word or two. words? <laughs> well, I just mean in the title
2: of our, the name of our uh, podcast, it's going in to your
0: work. title. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I anyway, know, but that is a word. deeper
2: meaning that, you know, you uncovered.
0: Yeah. Well, we may have to put that in the show notes too. So, so
2: anyway, <laughs>
0: if, if this part doesn't get cut out, I hope you enjoyed it. So, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, have a great day. And we look forward to talking to you again soon, Mark. Okay. Thank you.